Last Sunday, Sally and I were privileged to attend the baptism of a, a granddaughter, Sarah, Michael and Cheryl's daughter, was baptized in Floyd County last Sunday, and we were glad to be there. Obviously, we want to support our children, our grandchildren, in their walk with Christ, and uh, that's where we were last Sunday. At about that same time frame, I told Sally what I felt led to preach this morning, And anyway, um, on Monday or Tuesday of this past week, I went online to see what Brother John Swartz preached last Sunday while he was here. The title was Emmanuel, God with us. And what do you know, that was the exact title, the exact sermon that I was planning to bring here. But i just like to say I'm so thankful for the technology that we have available. Uh, so I thought maybe I'd veer in another little bit direction a little bit different. I'd like would like to take this opportunity to thank those that are doing the recording and those that are putting it online. Uh, often I go and I don't mean to be nosy, but I like to know what goes on here at the peak. Helps me to keep abreast and I'm sure glad I did this past week. Uh, so anyway, so we wouldn't double up. This morning I would like to consider the same person that Brother John spoke about last Sunday, but I would like to consider five different facets of the Lord Jesus' character, and those five facets of his character are highlighted in five of the names that was given to him 700 years before he was born. The title of the message this morning is, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And I invite you for a text, if you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We are in the Christmas season. This is a good passage to think about and think about, uh, read. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The Bible reads this way, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Brother Kenny started our Sunday school lesson this morning with a disclaimer. He said something, there's so much more in this lesson that I'll be able to cover. I don't, that wasn't verbatim, Kenny, but... I feel the same way this morning when I'm standing here before you preaching a sermon. There's a whole lot more that I won't be able to cover, cover, but I am trusting that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today with grateful hearts. We want to thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. Father, you knew, the Trinity knew together before the foundation of the world that we would need a Savior, and we are so grateful for your omniscience. You knew that, and you had the power to do something about it. And thank you so much for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, in the fullness of time. And thank you so much for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the words that are shared this morning to convey them to our hearts and make a difference in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to look at the 
five different names that are mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The first one is wonderful. I'd like to consider Simeon and how he had question um, or he had thoughts about this. But I should ask you first. I don't know what you would say. What is it that is so wonderful about God? You don't have to verbally answer. But what is it that's so wonderful about God? We're talking about wonderful counselor, mighty God. What's so wonderful about God? You don't need to respond, but I will. For me, it's the universal scope of God's love and his provision for lost humanity. I say that's wonderful. We know how man frustrated the plan of God when he fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. However, I ask you, was mankind beyond the reach of his creator? Was mankind, because of his sin, was mankind beyond the reach of a loving Savior and Redeemer? And we know absolutely not. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is... You know, the verse doesn't end there. What's the second half? But the gift, that's wonderful. We deserve death because of our sin. But God made a way and he provided a redeemer in his son. I say that's wonderful. I think sometimes for me, I can come to a a time of year like this and we're celebrating Christmas and the coming of our Lord. And I kind of forget about how wonderful and how blessed we are. And I don't think about it in depth like I should. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, many of the Jews in Jesus' day, especially the religious leaders, they had a very narrow understanding of God's love for his people. They seemed to almost think exclusively that God's love was for the children of Israel. And they did not think beyond that. And even among Jesus' disciples, when they wanted to call down fire upon the Samaritans, they felt like God's love was somewhat exclusive. But I'm so blessed by what we find in Luke chapter 2. And I would invite you there. What did Simeon have to say? Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 31. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now let us thy servant, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And notice this next verse is beautiful. Was it exclusively for the children of Israel? Verse 
31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon spoke way beyond the extension of God's love beyond the children of Israel to include the Gentiles. Are you blessed by that? If you're not, your wood is wet. I think that is wonderful. So I submit to you, brothers and sisters, his name shall be called Wonderful. Praise his holy name. Secondly, the second name of the Lord Jesus is to be a counselor. And I'd like to consider how Mary and Joseph were directed by the counselor. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Move through these fairly quickly. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. It's interesting, God was very specific in the location or the town where he sent the angel. Secondly, God was very specific in the message, I'm sorry, God was very specific in whom he sent the angel to address, obviously Mary. Third, God was very specific in the message he sent to Mary. And was the message that he sent to Mary an easy one? Verse 34 would answer that question. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? There was questions, and she was able to ask those questions. But notice in verse 38, we see the beautiful submission of Mary. She did not understand at all, but she said in verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The counselor. The counselor. What about Joseph? Was he directed in his life in this undertaking? Matthew chapter 1, verse 2018. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to verse 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared and said unto him in a dream, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Excuse me. 
Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Did Joseph have questions about what was willing, what was ready to transpire? He did. He had questions. But notice in verse 24, notice Joseph's obedience. Then Joseph, being raised, raised from sleep, did as the angel had bidden him. And then also in verse 25, notice his self-control. And Joseph knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. It's beautiful. You think of Mary, you think of Joseph, and how Jesus was the mighty counselor giving direction in this whole process, the counselor. The Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons, so let's make this practical. Do you think that God has any less desire to answer your questions as you navigate the complexities of life? Do you think God's any less interested in answering your questions as you navigate the complexities of life? Do you have questions, like Mary, like Joseph, that you would like answered? Are you too proud to come and ask them? To spend time in prayer and seek the Lord for direction? Jesus is the counselor. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, his name shall be called Counselor. Praise his holy name. You have questions? Come seeking. He wants to answer your questions, your concerns. Jesus, the counselor. Number three, the mighty God. One of the purposes of Jesus coming to earth was to reveal and to manifest the Father to mankind. To put skin on Jesus, if you will. John chapter 14, verses 6 to 7. John chapter 14, verses 6 to 7. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. I'd like to consider Philip, and how Philip, what he said... Notice in verse 8, Philip said, Saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Show us the Father. And how did Jesus answer his request? Look at verses 9 to 12. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Hast thou not seen? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto thee, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, interesting, Kenny, (laughs) verily, verily, He that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. 
Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus responded, in essence, I and my Father are the very same. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the disciples were privileged to view the miracles of Jesus. Sometimes Jesus even asked the disciples to assist him in doing the miracles. I'm not going to turn to, I have passages, but because of lack of time, we're going to move through these quickly. But just think, the mighty God, we're talking about a mighty God, one that can do miracles then and now. He still does. The feeding of the 5,000. One thing that really blessed me as I thought of the feeding of the 5,000, the leftovers were greater than the initial resources. How do you like that? Five loaves and two fishes. How much was left over? Twelve baskets. Enough baskets for each one of the disciples to take home and share with their families. Leftovers were greater than the initial resources. We're talking about the mighty God, the one that can do miracles. Number two, think about the woman with the issue of blood. How long did she have this issue of blood? Twelve years? Isn't that a long time? Brothers and sisters, a long time... It gets discouraging. Some, I mean, if we have a short-term problem or issue, yeah, we can kind of roll with the flow. But 12 years is a long time, and she had spent all her resources to try to remedy this problem, and she was none the better. Let's see what Matthew 9.20, what Matthew 9.20 says. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. What a beautiful example of a little faith. And she came and touched the hem of his garment and she was rewarded. It blesses me to think that this woman had exhausted all her resources, everything that she exhausted those things. And she came to the end of herself and Jesus drew near, and she re- reached out with a small seed, seed of faith, and she touched his garment, and she was blessed, and she was healed. Jesus had power over the physical. Number three, Jesus had power over nature. The calming of the sea. Mark chapter 4, verse 39. Mark chapter 4, verse 39. And he arose, Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. We know that Jesus had power over nature. Jesus had power over evil spirits as well. Number four, the uh, demon-possessed man of Gadara. And that's in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. I'll not uh, turn there. You know the story very much how Jesus cast the the demons aside and he had power over the demonic world. Number five, there was the woman that was taken in adultery. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. John chapter 8 will not turn there either. But this woman had been caught in sin and there was probably men standing there, the religious leaders with rocks in their hands, ready to carry out what the law said. 
And Jesus said, he that is among you cast the first stone. And they began to leave from the eldest even to the youngest. And Jesus said, where's your accusers? And she said, but they all go on. And Jesus said, neither do I forgive. I'm sorry. Thank you. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I love that story. We're talking about miracles. The mighty God. The Syrophoenician woman. I think it was a demon-possessed daughter. She came seeking healing. And I love Jesus almost seemingly put her off. Almost in a prejudiced way. In Mark chapter 7 verse 28. You know the story well. And Jesus said, let the children first be filled, in verse 27, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. What a beautiful response from a woman with great need. Yes, I know that you came for Israel, but I believe you came and you have a little piece of love You have something that you can do for me. And she sought out and she was rewarded for a small grain of faith. Yes. The mighty God, very quickly, thinking about the plan of salvation. I like to think of the, the plan of salvation had all four, I'm sorry, all three of the Trinity involved. The Father, it's how far ahead. First Peter said, before the foundation of the world, can we understand that kind of omniscience? And the implementation, I like to think of the Son, Galatians chapter 4, in the, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, thinking of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I think that would be a whole sermon in itself. But you know, we're thinking about the mighty God. We're thinking about miracles in old time. But what about today? And I ask you, how many of you have recently gone through, or maybe you are currently going through, deep waters? Is this message personal for you? I hope it is. It is for us. And we might as well just get personal in our family. A year ago, our daughter Cheryl was diagnosed with cancer. And we spent a lot of time, and we prayed about it. And Cheryl had six um, treatments of radiation, I'm sorry, chemo. And it seems like she's doing well. And we had our, our celebration recently. And I told Cheryl, I said, I'm sure glad you're here. We, we didn't have any promise of that. No promise that we... If we would pray, she would be healed, but we're so grateful that she's getting along as good as she can. And I won't name names, but we also had a, a family member that has been struggling with emotional issues for years. Some of those things are very hard. It's... You break your leg, you could take go to the doctor and you get it set. You have a tooth out, a toothache, you go and get it fixed. 
But emotional issues are, are different. In the last, we prayed about it day after day. And in the last month or two, we've seen tremendous change for the better. And oh, we're so grateful. Praise His holy name. The mighty God. I thought about Brother Leroy Summers. Evidently, there's been a lot of blessing, and he has made a lot of change for the good just recently. And I thought of Ivan Nolte. Give me, give me a few moments. I, I called Ivan up because I thought that there was something that had happened to him in years past. And I couldn't remember the details. So I called up Ivan yesterday and I asked him permission to share this. And he said I could. I'll try to keep it pretty brief. But he told me that in 2007, uh, he had... He was working around the house, had a severe headache, and was out working around the woods, and evidently he passed out in the woods for 15 or 20 minutes. He came back in, went in the house and talked to Luella, was talking to her for a while, and he passed out again. And she wanted to call the squad, and he said, why don't you just take me in? Let's go to the hospital. And so they went to the hospital, and... Initially, they couldn't find a whole lot, but they did a brain scan, and they recognized there was a leaking or a ruptured blood vessel. I don't know. Obviously, it hadn't burst. But anyway, they, because of the nature of, the, of what they were dealing with, they sent him to UVA, and the doctors over there were prepared for surgery to work on him. And in between surgery, they, Brother Nathan, Brother Philip Wanger, Brother Lyndon Rhodes, they had an anointing service. And after the nerve, uh, anointing service prior to surgery, the, the doctors did another brain scan, and they said, well, they started grumbling among themselves and said, I, I don't know what's wrong with that personnel or doctors over at uh, RMH. They evidently I guess they thought there were some links missing, not realizing, evidently, there was an instantaneous miracle for Brother Ivan. Another thing he said, he said that Brother Nathan used a good bit of oil when he poured it on his head, and after, I mean, before the surgery, of course, they didn't have the surgery, but very soon after that, they said the, the oil was completely dissipated. Not, he hadn't got out. He didn't take a shower. And the oil was going. I don't know what happened to the oil. That doesn't really matter. But God healed Ivan in a very remarkable way. I could tell the story of uh, Sister Mary Alice McDormand. I've done that. But brothers and sisters, it's good. We like to hear stories when God answers. But what about when he doesn't? Brother Illums had us a message some years ago. You probably could go back online when nothing is happening. I remember that. Good sermon. Brother Ivan said he was planning maybe this morning to preach a sermon when God is silent. We like to hear the stories of how God has answered 
But what about when you're going through something deep and you've prayed about it for a long time and it seems like nothing is happening? And I'll, sub- I'll submit this to you that I've struggled in this area too about answering questions to couples in this congregation dealing with infertility. It's the most difficult thing for me to answer. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, despite the unanswered questions, that our God is a mighty God. Praise His holy name. Number four, the everlasting Father. The Greek pronunciation of everlasting is Ahionius. I'm not a Greek scholar, but it means everlasting. It means perpetuity or a messianic period referring to the past as well as the future. And if you want to explain it in layman's terms, Brother Stan and I had opportunity to ride together in a car last last week and I think he said he explained it to someone this way if you get out a a pencil and draw a great big circle and if you get in that circle and start going around then when you get to the end well I guess that's eternity I don't know how you said it but it was something like that I thought that was a pretty apt uh, description of eternity the everlasting father once again You think about eternity, and you think about born again. Nicodemus comes to mind. What does it mean to be everlasting? What does it mean to be eternal? Do you and I have to understand all the components of eternal life to receive it? No, we don't. The passage, and I think about Lazarus, and I think... We'll pass on thinking about uh, Lazarus and the story there. We could go to that. But brothers and sisters, his name shall be called the Everlasting Father. Eternal. And he's made way for us that we can join him and be with him. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I'll receive you into myself that where I am. There you may be also. Wow. The everlasting Father. Last point, the Prince of Peace. Thinking about Nicodemus once again. What about peace with God? Isn't that the most important peace? We could read the account in Nicodemus, but you studied that already in your Sunday school. So I would ask you the question, did Nicodemus approach Jesus at night to gain a a better understanding on some theological questions? Or do you think that he sensed the need or a void within his own heart? Did he just want to know about some theological question? or, Or do you think that really there was something deeper than that? Maybe he had a void in his heart and he was seeking to have that void filled. I like to think that because of the things that he went through, and I like to think it was the latter, that he sensed a need. Nicodemus was willing to give up 
He was willing to sacrifice later on his status, his job, his reputation, and money to fill the void in his heart. To find peace with God. We're talking about the Prince of Peace. The most important thing is to receive that peace from all that had happened in the past, the sin that caused so much struggle to find peace with God. At Jesus' trial, Nicodemus argued on behalf of justice. And following the crucifixion, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they begged the body of Jesus. They identified, what about you and me? The rich young ruler I'll not turn to in Mark chapter 10 Ask Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, follow the commandments. And, and he said, well, I've done that all my life. And Jesus said, I love what it says in, let's see, it's in uh, Mark. I believe Mark 10. Jesus looked on him and he loved him. And he answered his question. He said, there, there is one thing that you lack. Go and sell that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. He had a choice to make. And he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He was not willing. He didn't think the exchange was worth the cost. He went away sorrowful. And brothers and sisters, I believe he's regretting that decision today. And I feel like I would be remiss this morning if there's anybody here this morning that has turmoil in their heart, in their life. There could be someone here that has never given their heart to the Lord Jesus. And the most important peace that we can find is to embrace that Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus. And so I would encourage if there's anybody here this morning that knows that God has been calling you. You have turmoil in your heart, day after day, night after night, and you haven't found that peace. Reach out to the loving Savior. Reach out to the Prince of Peace. Also, Jesus spoke about peace with our fellow men. There were many times when Jesus reprimanded his disciples for their attitude among them uh, against others outside of Israel, but also among themselves. And we have the account of James and John. They were going to go uh, into a Samaritan, Samaritan town, and they wouldn't receive them. And James and John said, Lord, what shall we do? Shall we call down fire just like Elijah did? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit ye are of. He said, I didn't come to kill. I came to save and to, and to heal. Maybe not verbatim. And you know also how that James and John, they sought prominence of position in Jesus' future kingdom. They even set their mother up. And she went and was said, would you do this for my two sons, have them to sit on the left and the right in your kingdom? And you know the discourse that happened there. The other ten disciples were indignant that James and John would ask such a thing. 
Also, they bickered among themselves at times who would be the greatest. In John 13, Jesus didn't preach them an hour and a half sermon, but he got down and he demonstrated what true love was and he began to wash the disciples' feet. It's easy for us to think about the stories in the New Testament when Jesus was here. But Jesus' desire for his 12 disciples and for us, he prayed there in John chapter 17. And one of his great prayers there in John 17, his desire for his disciples, not only for them, for you and for me, is that they all may be one. So I ask you, do you think that that's what Jesus desires among the peak ministry with Samuel, with Elam, with Dave, with Jay, with Claire? Do you think he desires that we are one? When we have our ministers meeting, and we had one the other night at Samuel and Angela's, if we would bicker and complain and say, I'm not heard and I don't know why you don't listen to what I have to share, would that bother you all? Do you think Jesus expects us and our differences to be one? Do you think that Jesus expects you and me, we as a brotherhood, that they all may be one? Brothers and sisters, his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. Peace with God, peace with our fellow man, with the Prince of Peace. In conclusion, I think someone shared this with us recently in a card. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. It's a little poem. It's called Jesus Walked Among Us. He walked among He walked a while among us so that we might better see the breadth of his compassion, his love for you and me. He walked a while among us, giving all he had to give to set us an example, to teach us how to live. He left his place in heaven, his glory and his throne, and walked a while among us to show the way back home. Brothers and sisters, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Blessed be the name of the Lord.